I'm probably more the guy to take your business from 50 to 100 million to 200 and above. I want to talk about that and more specifically, like what transformations is it that you have implemented in the past? I, I try to uh, imbue in people the notion that in the field, we only do three things. We build pipeline, we close deals, and we make customers successful. I'm not interested in process, I'm only interested in outcome, but I've never seen good outcomes without good process. If the market conditions are tough, as they are now, then it's about focusing in on Today, we are hanging out with Martin Mackey, the Chief Revenue Officer at Versa Networks. In our chats, we are getting in the inside scoop on how Martin turns around underperforming sales teams and how he kicks revenue growth into high gear. Martin is going to break down why treating sales as a process is key, as he would say, no outcome without processes. And he's also going to tell us why setting clear expectations and motivating the team is a crucial foundation. And lastly, He's got some solid advice on why it's super important to keep learning, stay accountable, and balance the high and low in sales. So please enjoy from my conversation with Martin. Hi there. Are you identifying anonymous companies visiting your website and automatically sending them to your CRM for sales team to convert? If not, you may want to check out Dealfront. It is Europe's leading go-to-market platform. With Dealfront, you can discover exactly what your website visitors are looking for and engage with the right leads at the right time with a message that captures their interest. By the way, they are already serving more than 10,000 clients across 27 European countries. To learn more about Dealfront, go at wearesales.com slash Dealfront. Again, wearesales.com slash Dealfront. Hi, Martin. It's super nice to have you on. First of all, thank you so much for making the time to have this discussion. Um, Super curious to deep dive into your experience um, because you mentioned a couple of interesting things during the preparation. Um, say too much about it now because for now I'm kind of curious also about you. Could you please introduce yourself to the audience and while you're at it, can you also bring a couple of past experiences? Sure, I'd be delighted to. And first of all, thank you very much for having me on the show. I appreciate it very much. And hopefully over the next few minutes we can explore some things that are useful to uh, the audience. But my name is Martin McKay. I am currently the Chief Revenue Officer for Versa Networks, a pre-IPO Santa Clara-based company. I actually work, operate out of London uh, and run the global field for Versa. Prior to that, I have had leadership positions in large US corporates, PeopleSoft, uh, VeriSign, Proofpoint, uh, CA Technologies, I've actually been a CEO of private equity or, or venture capital back businesses four times. Uh, and I've also uh, been a venture capitalist as well. So I've seen everything from the other side of the table, as it were. Uh, and I've, I've been fortunate enough, I, live, I think, to live in five or six countries over the course of my career. Uh, and if you go back to the dawn of time, Dylan, I have a degree in modern languages. So we could actually conduct this interview in in French or Spanish quite happily, although I must no admit, way. <laughs> not, not, not in Dutch, unfortunately. Not you know. in Dutch, fair enough. Yeah, we could do we could do French though, but uh, yeah, let's let's give that for another time. So is it then, um, am, I, am I right that you are, I mean, that you have like a global focus then as well? Because I know that you are now in London, but still CRO of a global organization. So how would you say that your experience is located? Yeah, exactly. I run the global field. Uh, for uh, Versa Networks. And so we've got operations in Asia, back in Latin America, obviously in Europe and in the US as well. So, uh, you know, a couple of observations there. London, as I was talking to a very close friend in the industry the other day, we have the competitive advantage that we, we are actually in the perfect time zone <laughs> because essentially that's Asia, pack in the morning. I was indeed talking to my Indian team just before uh, we came on air. Uh, you know, during the day, to early afternoon, tends to be Europe-focused, and then from early to mid-afternoon to whatever time at night, it's the US. Uh, and there's Latin America to fit in as well. So, you know, essentially that makes for long days, it has to be said. But if you're going to do a global, if you're going to do a global role, then London's a pretty good place to do it from, just because of the time zone. It's a strategic location choice. No, I get you there. Yes. What can you say about the, I mean, and of course you mentioned already a couple of things, but about the revenue context that you are most comfortable talking about in terms of, you know, 
size of the revenue department, the go-to-market motions, average deal size, sales cycle, anything else that you might uh, think relevant for that conversation. I'm first of all, I'm a, I'm a B2B enterprise guy. I guess I've run businesses that have targeted the SMB that have been, you know, very high volume, relatively low value. Uh, and, and that's fine and that's an important part of, of go to market. You know, I'm probably not the guy you were going to hire to be the first uh, foot on the ground, as it were. Um, I'm probably not the guy who's going to kick down doors. I'm probably more the guy to take your business from 50 to 100 million to 200 and above, you know, I would say. And, you know, you look at uh, CA Technologies, that was $250, $300 million revenue. Proofpoint at the time was, you know, pushing that sort of number. Uh, then some of the some of the companies that I've run have been smaller than that, you know, $30 million or so. But uh, I, I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of a growth guy, you know, go from 50 to 100 to 200 plus. Right. Rather than the sort of the, the very early stage uh, sales leader. Right, right. No, definitely. Always product market fit, but still going from chaos to yeah, to very structured. exactly. And you know, a big part of us, as we talked about before, and I talked with your colleague Larson previously, a big part of what I've done is really transforming what what I would say is underperforming sales teams into into ones that are actually delivering growth. And that's probably probably what I'm known for, I guess, if I'm known for anything at all. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's perfect. Well. You know what? Let's make that uh, let's make that a thing. Indeed, maybe we should talk about it because indeed, also during the preparation, uh, you mentioned that at multiple occasions you were able to go from a flat revenue curve to revamp that 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 growth. Yeah, and so I want to talk about that and more specifically, like, you know, maybe we should start with that. What transformations is it that you have implemented in the past when you had that situation that made an impact? You know, I mean, we could talk recently. Um, CA Technologies was in that situation when I arrived at APJ. Uh, the business was flat. Proofpoint was the same uh, in a mere uh, versus slightly different, actually, because uh, we weren't flat at all. We were we were growing, but I was brought on board about uh, nearly two years ago now to to accelerate that growth. We're we're, uh, we're driving that, but you know, I think CA Technologies is a a pretty good case study uh, of of the sort of things that I try to put in place. Because I arrived uh, <laughs> October 2016, had a fantastic experience. I met the the CRO of CA. We got on exceptionally well earlier that year, and I'd known the CEO, which was my introduction to CA. And the CRO was a very successful CEO, one of the best leaders I've ever had the privilege to work for. After two hours, he basically said, would you go to Singapore to, to run the Asia-Pac business for me? We got on that well. Uh, and I'd had some experience of Asia-Pac previously. And I basically said, when when would you like me out there? So I you know, I flew to New York to, to do some further interviews. Uh, but so October 2016, uh, we arrived, uh, my wife and I arrived in Singapore. And that was a, just a tremendous two and a half years. And the circumstances were that... Uh, you know, in 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 the region, the 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 revenues were flat, and there was basically very little new business growth. I would say, and and by the time the CA was acquired by Broadcom, uh, and there's a whole story to tell in that regard. Uh, by the time CA was acquired by Broadcom, uh, we had new business bookings growing at uh, more than thirty percent year on year. Wow. Uh, so we made some significant strides, and you know that was. I'm happy to happy to explore some of the things that we put in place. Yeah, uh, exactly. I mean, maybe we should you know kind of go over the list because I, I suppose it's not about one transformation; it's about a couple of ones. Uh, maybe we should start about the things yeah. that come top of mind, uh, but that also at the same time had the, the the biggest impact, the greatest impact on the revenue. Yeah, I, look, I think there are three things that you you have to do. Um, and, and by the way, this is that you, you're never done, right, Dylan? You're never finished because you know if you if you ever get complacent, then you will fail. And so I don't know whether you're a sports fan, but if you look at you know the brilliance of Manchester United under Alex Ferguson, not that I'm a United fan, but if you look at the brilliance of Alex Ferguson, what he was able to do was create three 
brilliant teams, effectively. So he was able to reinvent himself. I think Pep Guardiola, in many ways, is doing the same thing at, at Manchester City. But also applying some principles that, you know, in Pep's case, he put into practice at, uh, at Bayern Munich and then previously at Barcelona. And of course, it helps if you've got unlimited wealth behind you in that transformation. And, and usually, uh, those of us taking on that transformation challenge, we don't have that advantage. You know, usually there's massive pressure to perform uh, we have to draw the results. And, and although there's obviously pressure on, on Pep, you know, he's got that long-term support from uh, from his chairman, for sure, that he, he talks about all the time. And quite often, as we know, in the technology industry, that isn't there. So I think that there mm-hmm. are three things that you have to do very quickly. Uh, you have to, first of all, establish some ground rules about your expectations, make expectations really clear. You have to motivate the team as to you know why the future is going to be different from uh, the current situation. You've got to get people excited first. You know the way I like to put it, Dylan, a friend of mine who's a uh, an executive coach, consultant, uh, transformation expert. He says, "Lead with the heart and follow with the head." You've got to you've got to get people emotionally engaged first of all. Uh, and so that is a lot about setting out the vision for how you want the business to operate. That's a lot about setting the ground rules, about expectations. It's very much about being visible and being at the forefront. You can't be a, a desk-based leader. You've got to be out meeting people, meeting customers, meeting partners, putting everything you say into action. Um, and of course, you've got to be assessing the leadership team because if you're leading a team, as I was in CA of 600, 700 people, something like that, uh, I can't communicate to all 700 people uh, directly. Uh, I've got to be going through the team. So I've got to make sure that my team uh, and indeed, you know, my team's team are aligned with the, the values, the principles, what we're, what we're trying to achieve. Uh, so that's sort of the first the first thing. You you set the ground rules. You lead by example. You try to you try to inspire. You also assess the leadership team. You know, I, I have this test. I guess, which is, I call it my Ulaanbaatar test because I was uh, in Ulaanbaatar in uh, the capital, as I'm sure you know, Mongolia, uh, for a conference with uh, with two colleagues. Uh, and we got stuck there, but stuck there. Uh, the conference lasted a couple of days. I got stuck there for another couple of days by Air China, which sort of happens. Uh, you know, they forget people. You know, they, they <laughs> flights are cancelled. And uh, so we were, we were there in Ulaanbaatar for you know, whatever it was, 36, 48 hours together. Uh, and as a result of that, we became really good friends to two members of my leadership. And so I always I always sort of look upon it ultimately as, you know, a member of the leadership team. Of course, you're assessing skills and experience, but it's ultimately, would, would I be stuck with this person in Ulaanbaatar for yeah. four days, you know? And, and I always, when I'm interviewing someone, I always apply that. And by the way, I think it's reciprocated, right? You know, would that person want to be stuck with me for four days in literally out of Mongolia? That's interesting. So, so that that's sort of the, the team assessment. But you, you put that in place and you set your expectations and, and you need to be really clear about the behaviors. The second thing in more pra- practical terms, sort of driving sales, is that, you know, I learned from, again, a great leader that I worked for. Um, who ingrained in me that sales is a process. And if you work with me, you'll hear me say pretty similar things uh, very consistently around, you know, I'm not interested in outcomes. I'm not interested in process. I'm only interested in outcome. But I've never seen good outcomes without good process. So, you know, I I try to uh, imbue in people the notion that in the field, we only do three things. We build pipeline, we close deals, and we make customers successful. And then you've got to drill down on the behaviors that you want in terms of building pipeline. And that's all around, obviously, you need the support from marketing, but that's all around activity, having the right target accounts to go after, taking accountability for one's own pipeline, um, and, um, you know, driving driving the right um, contacts with the right value proposition, of course. Uh, you know, the, putting the effort in to, to build pipeline to get that early contact um, across your target base. And and one of the things I learned at at CA, uh, which may be very obvious to other sales leaders, but it took me a long time to figure this out, and I'm no doubt very slow. And so as I say, this may or may not be useful, but 
you know, for a long time in, in previous businesses that I was running, I looked at pipeline at a, as a, a gross level or maybe at a regional level. Uh, and then, of course, it came to me at CA that pipeline starts with individual performance, you know, individual reps putting opportunities mm -hmm. into Salesforce, which whatever ever other CRM you're doing. So as well as look at the macro picture, I then started to drill into the individuals and started to look at, you know, what makes someone really successful at building one? And what were those behavioral characteristics? And A, that's quite a good guideline for hiring, but B, what can I take in terms of those best practices and transfer across uh, to people who are struggling? So for example, you know, uh, rather than just cold calling, uh, can you see that code call with an introduction to someone in LinkedIn? That's very obvious, but can you also take something you think might be relevant to the target prospect uh, and send it to him or her? Uh, not acres of email, because we all have about a 15-second attention span these days, but something really pertinent. You know, Can you use your channel to go and influence the... Uh, the target you're trying to get to. And if you haven't got those channel relationships, go build them. So that's part of, you know, the job as rep. It's not just the responsibility of the alliance team to do that. Uh, and then can you use all of that ecosystem triangulation? Is there an executive who might have got a relationship, you know, to get in? And provided you've got a value proposition that's relevant to the prospect, that's probably, you know, the key thing that you're looking to do. So one of the things I learned was, as well as looking at the pipeline, the macro level, get down to the individual rep. Um, and then, you know, that second aspect in terms of process, closing deals, that's all about just using sales methodology. And in particular, I'm a, I'm a MedPick fan. You, using MedPick appropriate and not, you, not looking at it, as I like to say, as a, as a task, but looking at it as a tool. You know, don't fill out the MedPick form that you may have integrated into Salesforce just to keep, you know, your, your regional VP happy. Do it because it's going to help you close the deal. It's going to help you qualify. You know, have you really got a champion? Uh, you know, or, you know, the, the latest parlance is the sales catalyst. Uh, someone who's really going to push your solution, who's really going to say, we need to deploy, you know, to your technologies, and since, you know, whatever the solution was, we were selling, you know, DevOps capabilities. Uh, uh, have we got someone who, will that person give us access to power? Is that person in, you know, in the sales catalyst context that influence? So, you know, that's the sort of detail you've got to get to when you're getting to sales review. And then making customers successful. Uh, that's very simple, which is, you know, it's not just about doing the first deal, but it's about owning the account and staying through the whole customer lifecycle, the customer journey. So, so, you know, the first thing is, I guess, as everyone says, work with the right people. Second is, give them clear guidelines as to how they need to behave, you know, in process terms, although allow some creativity as well. And then the third thing is foster an environment uh, where of, of continuous learning. That's the other thing I think is really important. Uh, and that 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 is uh, learning. Obviously, you've got to have product expertise. You've got to have industry expertise. You've got to be bringing value to the customer all the time. Uh, but also that's for me as the leader as well, which is making sure I'm listening to my team and understanding, okay, what are the problems? I'm not sitting in an ivory tap pontificating theoretically. Uh, and that's part of, again, leading from the front. I'm at, you know, with with the rep in the field, helping him or her uh, hopefully win the deal or learning when we lose and working out what do we need to do best. So that those are the sort of that that's the roadmap i think for transformation and that's what i've done pretty consistently i'd say uh over the last 10 years or so martin i i absolutely love it and just the fact that you can talk about it so in such a structured way is evidence to me that indeed it is not something new it's not something you just came up with but it's something that you have applied for the as you said just the last uh, last 10 years hi guys before we dive back into the episode, I've got something super, super exciting to share with you. Mark your calendars for May 16 because We Are Sales 2024 is happening. And this isn't just any conference. It is the conference for European sales leaders where you can expect to learn from the best and be surrounded by the most ambitious revenue leaders from Europe. And so whether you're an aspiring sales leader, sales director, VP sales, or chief revenue officer, the We Are Sales Conference is truly the place to be. 
Tickets are now available and you can grab your ticket by visiting our website at wearesales.com slash conference. Again, it is wearesales.com slash conference. And now back to the episode. I think there are also a couple of things that I want to unpack. Um, sure. So to to circle back to maybe the first thing, uh, really restating the the expectations. Why was it so important in the first place? Is it because people just didn't have a certain work ethic or they didn't just see the the same thing as priority inside the team? What was what was it that's so important about setting up the right expectations in the first place? Yet usually usually when a new leader is brought on board, uh, it's not because everything has been going fantastically well. You know, it may be because somebody has retired um, and that person's been really successful, in which case, you know, probably the life lesson is you don't want to be that person's successor, but probably that person's successor's successor. You know, again, the Manchester United example is a good case in point, right? David Moyes had no chance after Alex Ferguson, <clears throat> but maybe others should have done better subsequently. Um, so usually there's a problem right in some shape or form and that problem is reflected in the fact that the numbers are not being delivered but you know you can um shout at people and say the numbers are not good enough but that doesn't really achieve anything you need to diagnose why and usually i mean there are already three reasons right either you've got no product market fit, your products have been surpassed by the competition, uh, in which case there's very little that a leader can do. Uh, or the market conditions are tough, uh, but your product's relevant, in which case you've really got to focus in on, uh, okay, what's the value, what's the ideal customer profile, where can we win, uh, and, and get people focused on that accordingly. Or you've just got the wrong people. And it doesn't mean that people are bad in themselves. It just means that maybe they're, they're just in the context of the company you're working for. Uh, you know, I remember there was one individual, obviously I won't name him, but there was one individual who was very talented. And early on uh, in my tenure, uh, he, I said to him, are, are you up for the fight? And, and he said, honestly, no. I said, no, I, no blame. I don't think so. I think we need to part company. He said, yes, I agree. And then I, I appointed someone into his role that was head of channels and lines. It, it was slightly left field, but this person who uh, was um, slightly languishing in the wrong role, and he flourished in this role. Uh, and Love it. Uh, made a, a very good friend. And so... Um, you know, you've got to diagnose what, what, what the problem is. The problem is a market problem. And, and by the way, Dylan, I've run businesses where I've come on board thinking, okay, I can reinvigorate this business with, uh, you know, my energy drive, leadership, whatever. Uh, and then I've just discovered that, you know, the products have been passed by. And then as a leader, you, you're in trouble. <laughs> I can imagine. There's not much you can do. Other than hoping that your colleagues on the product engineering side are going to reinvent something. That's another ballpark, that's for if sure. If the market conditions are tough, as they are now, then it's about focusing in on, okay, where can you win? Where, where you know, where real strength, go double down on your customer base, etc. So that's sort of the, that, that's, that's the, the, the foundation for it. That's why you've got to look at, at transformation. The other thing about setting expectations is, as well as you're coming in and ultimately judging the team, the team are judging you. I remember I was uh, acquired by Symantec uh, back in 2010 when I was at Verisal. And there was a leader, obviously who will remain nameless, who came on to the All Hand uh, at the start of, uh, you know, introducing Symantec to Verisal. And he said, right, you know, welcome, we've acquired you. I'm, I'm summarizing, of course. And, let me start by telling you all about myself. And I remember going on mute to one of my uh, close teammates. Uh, this guy's an idiot. He's got 400 people who he's just acquired. We're all worried about their jobs, want, want to know the direction of the company. And he's going to spend 20 minutes, half an hour, telling us his biography. If I want to know someone's biography, I'll go to LinkedIn. What I want to know is, what are your operating principles? Do I want to be part of that scene? Am I inspired by you? Do I actually trust you? 
dot, 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 particularly when, and you know, everyone's nervous when a new leader comes on board because it's, it's the first thing he or she going to do, going to replace everyone with, with his or her old team. So you've got to be conscious of that. Uh, and, you know, I um, actually make a point as I come on board saying, hey, if you want to know my track record, go onto LinkedIn. You want to talk to any of my connections, you can, because I, I pretty much know them all, or at least I've had some contact with them. But here's, let's talk about what we're going to do in the future. And you make it about the team, you make it about principles, um, and you try to inspire that. I love that. Yeah, it's to to come back with what you said uh, at the beginning. Lead with the heart, follow with the head. Exactly. And that's not original. And I'm, you know, one of my true skills, perhaps, is plagiarizing other people's brilliant ideas and putting, <laughs> putting them into coherent order. Uh, that is a, uh, that's a quote from a friend I was actually with him yesterday. And, and I think he summarizes it brilliantly um exactly i would agree with that and so you know um no one it's difficult to get excited about saying we're going to grow uh, ebitda by 20 percent this year but if you say um there are three things that we want to achieve we want customers to have an incredible experience using our products we want employees to regard the next two or three years of their career as the most fulfilling and exciting. Uh, and we're going to do that through focusing on, you know, uh, taking this product set to these customers, transforming them. This is how we're going to compete. Uh, we're going to create an environment where people can be very, give very honest feedback. And as a result of all of that, we're going to hit certain numbers. By the way, you know, the score uh, is important right it's not you're not paid for effort you're paid for results that's really important but if you focus just on the results you won't get the um you won't, you probably won't get them so it's again it's that process outcomes parallel yeah yeah you, you look at the at the end destination but you don't look at the vehicle that you need to to do this i mean to get there and yeah. so i get it you need to to define a vision to motivate the team with it you need to reset expectations and then ultimately we come to then, I guess, step two of, of your approach to it is really uh, looking at sales as a process and really yeah. looking at behaviors and activities that needs to be performed. And so I also like what you said there because you looked at what type of behavior is providing successful outputs. Um, and so I wanted to, to ask about that. Like, how do you go about it? How do you go uh, to make it very tactical? How do you go and, and look at what types of activities are actually performing? Yeah, a great question. So there are a couple of things. I mean, there are technologies that you can use uh, that will uh, give you activity analysis, first of all. So, you know, if I'm looking at someone, if I'm looking at a rep who's overperforming, I'm pretty interested in, you know, what people people.ai has to say about his or her activity. Uh, you obviously want to measure things in terms of, okay, is this person selling to... 10 install-based customers, how much new business is there? Because it's be easier to sell to a customer. You know, what does the territory look like? But but fundamental activity. And then uh, simply on that basis, I'm going to talk to the rent uh, and say, look, you seem to be doing really well. Can you tell me what, what, what you're doing? And then I will equally go and talk to another rep. And obviously we'll do this in conjunction with the managers as well, because it's really important that you get, you know, your sales first line managers, probably the most important role in any sales organization, align. We'll go talk to the rep who's struggling and say, talk to me about what you're doing. Have you thought about this? And I think, mm. you know, ultimately everyone knows in sales, numbers matter. So you don't, you know, I, I, I guess the way I try to approach that as well is, and I, I sometimes fail because I'm a sales leader, and, you know, sometimes it's, sometimes you've got to, you know, throw the boot across the dressing room at your best player. Right? But, um, you know, people have got to know that you you can be ferocious when needed because sometimes that's required. Uh, but ultimately what I try to do is to not give people the excuse to focus on my behavior and how I impart the message. So be respectful, be polite, but be very clear about expectations. So if somebody's struggling, understand why. And then say, okay, rather than saying, well, you just got to turn this around, say, well, look at this, look at this, look at this, and, and, and measure that behavior in detail. Uh, the best 
way of explaining this, I guess, is years ago was playing golf, and I've always been a terrible golfer. I was playing with my late ex-father-in-law, and my late ex-father-in-law suggested that I have a lesson with the with his golf club's uh, assistant pro, who was a young South African. And so I went down and hit some balls, and he corrected some things, and hit some more balls, and you know, as ever, someone good, someone not so good. And, and at one point, he just turned to me and he said, oh, you know what, uh, you're just not doing it right. And it, so, you know, forgive the accent. Uh, but I thought, thanks so much, my friend. So, you know, my father-in-law has just paid you 40 quid, whatever, to tell me that I'm a bad golfer. I, I, I know I'm struggling. It would actually help to have some, some a bit more practical advice. So right. if I rock up to you, Dylan, and say, you know what, Dylan, your numbers are useless. Your numbers are awful. You're useless. Fix it. Yeah. You're probably going to say, you're probably going to look at me and quite reasonably treat me with some expletive and then you're going to get your resume together whereas the last thing that anyone wants the last recourse is to have someone leave because then you've got to invest in hiring someone and training someone much better to turn the performance around so you've got to be quite an ability to diagnose to the best of your ability why is that person not being successful mm -hmm. i also like what you said about um if you want to coach someone on a specific type of behavior, skill set, you also want to make sure that you can measure it. Does it mean that depending on what a type of, I mean, what the person is lacking in type of behavior of uh, in terms of yeah, activity that needs to be performed, you need to be able to link a specific metric to it. And that means that it can be different for just everyone. Yeah, there are some metrics that apply across the board. You know, typically activity will lead to pipeline, will lead to more closed business, of course. Uh, but let me give you maybe just a, another tangible example. And he's a very good friend and he may be listening to this. So uh, if, if he is listening, uh, I might even send it to him to say, you should, you should I talk about you. Uh, but I'm obviously yeah. not going to mention who it is. He was a sales leader of mine. And he was a very effective sales leader. He delivered his numbers, but he didn't have a great relationship with his team. Uh, and so when when uh, the numbers were, when things were tough, uh, his team weren't necessarily with him. And that's because he was quite autocratic. He was quite distant. He would, he would keep his door closed. Uh, and I remember, uh, and he wouldn't talk to his team. So I, you know, this observation, so this is different from the numbers. The numbers were broadly good. I remember going to him to say, okay, you're going to hate me for this. Or you will thank me eventually, although the process will be you're going to hate me, but I'm not giving you a choice here. And we talked through the, his leadership style. I said, okay, what I want you to do is over the next week, I want you to measure the number of times you talk to your team face-to-face, -face, and I want you to measure the number of the hours that your door is open in the office. And in a week's time, we're going to review that. Uh, because what are we trying to achieve? We're trying to create... A more empathy between you and your team. And he sort of looked at me as if he did hate me. I said, I told you you're going to hate me, but we're not going to check. This is, you know, not optional. At the end of the first week, you know, we reviewed what he'd done. Uh, whatever the numbers were, I honestly can't remember. This is nearly 15 years ago now. And uh, he said, uh, I said, okay, how do you think you did? He said, oh, okay. I said, okay, where do you think you can get to next week? And he, we, we set goals and we measured that. Well, over three or four weeks, things changed and it became more natural behavior. Another colleague, um, the time my legal counsel came to me and said, what have you done with this person? He's totally transformed as a leader. Uh, and this person is another very good friend, legal counsel, typical legal counsel, quite quite cynical, who always said, you, you can't change someone. I said, yes, you can. I so, love it. Uh, that's just one story about measurable behavior. Now, e equally, you know, in a sales context, measurable behavior is, you know, how many calls are you putting in? How many emails are you sending? But not just on volume, but how many contacts are you making? And what do you think is a good number of contacts? How many meetings should you get? Uh, and obviously, reps, experienced reps are not necessarily great at prospects. You know, that's why you sort of get the young BDRs out there sort of cranking the phone. But what you're trying to do is to say, hey, if you do get through to a senior person, do get through to Dylan, for example, then you as a 25-year 25 25 year experience rep must be a better person 
to articulate the value proposition, say, Dylan, you know, this is why you should talk to us. Uh, can we have a follow-up meeting? Then some junior guy has been doing it for three months. So you you try to coach that and talk about, okay, what is the what are the inputs and the outputs? I like that thinking also because I, I mean, that's, that's more on my side. And again, my type of business completely different to, to your, to your experiences. But I think that we can generalize this, that looking at inputs and behavior is what the, most of the attention should be put on. Um, I think you might agree as well with that, but I know that, I mean, I recall from the conversation you also had in the preparation is that during the performance meetings, you actually split it also the discussion of forecasting mm-hmm. and pipeline. And I think that that to a certain extent also has a link to it. So can you please share that, uh, the, the, yeah, the transition? Yeah, exactly. Obviously, um, you know, we are paid uh, as leaders in the technology industry to deliver the number, right? And that becomes the quarter, becomes the obsession. Uh, and rightly so, and it has to. Uh, but also we've got to run um, in parallel and think about the future. And it's quite difficult when you conflate the two. It's I call it, you've got to have the blondie strategy. And I, I call it that because of the uh, the seminal album, the, the, the band uh, uh, released in the 1970s, late 70s. I remember buying it aged 14 or something, you know, parallel lines, <laughs> right? And, and so I call it the body strategy. You've got to run in parallel lines. You've got to have the short-term focus. Um, and then it, equally, you've got to be thinking about, okay, six, nine, 12 months out. Um, and it's quite difficult to, you know, with all the pressures of the quarterly numbers, it's quite difficult as a leader to do that. And I um, I fail as often as anyone in, in, in that respect. But if you can run your weekly forecast meetings and then have separate pipeline review meetings where you're bringing in your marketing colleagues and you, you, you're not pointing fingers, you're, you're genuinely trying to solve the problem. Um, I think that's a, that's a very good approach. Um, and it's something that I put in, put in place effectively in, in, in all the businesses I run. And it's, it's, uh, it's something that, you know, even my current business, I think we could do a better job of that, frankly, because we tend to be quite, quite focused on, on, you know, what's the next quarter going to look like. So, um, that's something that, that we did where we had separate uh, review meetings and that just reinforced the message to the leaders across the business that pipeline was important. And that may sound obvious, uh, but sometimes you need to be reminded of that. I, I think that's uh, I think that's very fair to say. I think we need more to be, remember, to be reminded than we need to be taught. So. I think that's a fair thing to yeah, say. Yeah, exactly. I um, mean, there's, there's nothing, nothing here. I wouldn't claim any any particular deep brilliance or original insight in anything I've said, Dylan. It's I think you put it really well. It's uh, uh, it's just we, you know, a lot of us op- try to operate that way. We just need to be reminded. In fact, uh, one of the things that I uh, I would say that this conversation, the preparation for this uh, this discussion, has been very helpful to me because it's reminded me of some things that maybe I'd forgotten to put in place at, at Versa. Look at that. I like to hear that. Um, yeah. I also definitely had something that I wanted to talk to you about. Um, and I think you also kind of mentioned it uh, while you were explaining the three different aspects. Uh, but you mentioned in in order for the customer to be successful, that it is actually also the responsible of the reps. Uh, and yes. in the preparation, you also mentioned that you are not really a big fan of such a thing as customer success, which is, I think... A, quite an unpopular opinion these days because you really oh, see that no, split no. off or did yeah. I misunderstood it maybe yeah no, so that's a that's a big misunderstanding no 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 oh, I'm bad. a massive fan of customer success um the customer success team are the most critical people in the organization absolutely no what I what I said was I'm not a big fan of um uh dedicated renewal teams i i believe that the the rep should go should be an account manager should have that long-term relationship the customer success teams work alongside the reps and they're absolutely critical absolutely and they do a fantastic job um and and so and, the, the point was yeah. that the, the the spokesperson stays the salesperson still i think you know right? i think I'm a, I'm a believer in the account manager role Rather than I'm a new business hunter and I hand over to the uh, I hand over to the uh, uh, 
um, to grow the account, you yeah. know, to the install base manager. I, you mm-hmm. can do that maybe in a volume business, but I think in an enterprise business, it's it's more difficult. I'm not a big believer in in dedicated renewal team. I'm a massive believer in the customer success teams. Those guys are absolutely essential. Love it. All right. Thanks for clarifying this. Hey there. Are you letting your marketing and sales teams leverage the power of deep data? If not, you may want to check out Dealfront. It is Europe's leading go-to-market platform. And Dealfront draws from three channels of data. EU company databases, multilingual web crawling, and trigger events. And so this allows you to identify accounts exhibiting genuine buying intent, pinpoint key decision maker, access their contact details, and seamlessly integrate with your CRM for streamlined operations. With deep data comes a deep understanding of how to reach your revenue potential. Oh, and have I mentioned that Dealfront was born and raised in Europe? Therefore, no need to worry about data compliance. They know all about it. Learn more about Dealfront at wearesales.com slash Dealfront. Again, that's wearesales.com slash Dealfront. And now back to the episode. You also mentioned in the in the preparation call that uh, something, uh, I'm just going to quote one of, I think your XVP marketing, uh, that he said, what I like about you is that you come with a toolkit, not a playbook. Oh, yes. Yeah, uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. And I think that's important because... Every business is different, right? Uh, and so, you know, I would like to think that the the things we've been talking about over the last half an hour or so, um, they're not, uh, it's a mistake to be slave to technique, Dylan. That's what I would say. Um, you know, one of my favorite authors is John Le Carre, And at one point, uh, George Smiley uh, his, uh, his lead character, he says something similar. He says, I always think it's such a mistake to rely solely on technique, meaning you can't just rely on process. Uh, you've got to bring creativity to it. You've got to bring, you know, ultimately, uh, what makes a difference is the relationship you build with other people. You know, do people like you? <laughs> uh, do, does the customer like you? Or, you know, does the customer actually say, well, I, don't really want to give this person my business for whatever right. reason. Um, and, you know, it's impossible for us all to be liked by everyone. So you've also got to play that off. You know, you've got to think about, um, okay, what's going to work best in this context? You know, what is what is the, uh, who's ultimately going to make the decision? We might, in, in sales, you know, we might have a, a playbook that says we got to call high, right? Um, but it, if the engineers are the ones who are actually effectively going to make the decision because the management team are saying, I'm not going to do anything that's going against my, my field-based, you know, the, the guys are going to have to use this. Yeah. If, you, if you don't build that relationship and get them comfortable, and maybe, you know, maybe the, maybe the engineers have been working with the same supplier for 10 years and they're just comfortable and, you know, they, they, they know exactly the product and, you know, why would they want to change? Because that's going to mean a lot of hard work from their point of view. Uh, yeah. So it, it's a mistake just to ride, you know, all the methodologies say call high. Uh, and yes, you need to, you need to have that influence. Of course you do. Uh, but yeah, gotta... I think it's just like you, you, you mentioned with, uh, with Medpick. You also said there specifically, it is a tool and not a task. Yes. And exactly. I actually wanted to ask you, is it then indeed the case that you don't, force people to use it. It is not a mandatory adoption of Medpick, but it is, yeah, you try to that, provide, that, that, make that. them see the value out of it. And Yeah, that, 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 the way that I approach it is it's a tool that you will use, right? But don't use it. Because it is so too there good. Are certain <laughs> to, you know, there are some things you gotta, you got to say. You know, if, again, to use my sporting analogy, uh, you know, there are, if you're um, uh, the rugby coach, you know, just have the rugby world cup, you're you're setting out your game plan and you want people to play to that But you also, you know, one of the challenges for England, uh, although they did surprisingly well in the end, was that we too constrained, not enough creativity. But but here's the thing. What I want to do is to get people to understand the value of MedPick and to use it because they really see value. And again, the way to do that is not not a top down, but is actually to get uh, you know, a rep who's sold a deal and who's used MedPick to get him or her to, you know, present how Medpick helped helped him or her with the deal. That that's the sort of thing. 
Um, but right. yeah, is it is 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 adherence to process uh, optional? Uh, not really. Although you uh, you know your um, you know your ability to create slack for yourself as a rep to a great extent depends on the results as well. Let's be pragmatic about it. Exactly, exactly. I think that's fair to say. That, you know, if your rep brings in the million-dollar ACV deal and MedPick isn't completely, you know, filled out to everyone's satisfaction, uh, then <laughs> that's probably forgivable, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, but but equally, if you're losing a deal, um, you know, sure as hell, make sure your sales force is up to date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, I, I, I like how you very often Brian like uh, analogies that you can make with sports uh, I feel that you look at revenue at sales like it is a high performance sport because you can make a lot of parallels to it I think we can also link link this back to the third point that you mentioned continuous learning because I think that yes. high performance and continuous learning yes. really have yes. has to go hand in hand um, and so how do you yeah try to I mean have that culture in place of continuous learning are there like specific questions that you make sure that you ask are there things that you need to repeat and repeat and repeat over and over again to the team? Like, how do you create such a culture in the team? Well, I think you've got to do a couple of things. First of all, uh, sales enablement uh, is probably an under, under-resourced, underestimated uh, component. And if you've got a great sales enablement person, um, then that really helps. Uh, and you can put together a program of uh, what you hope is compelling content around product or process or industry trends, etc. Uh, the second thing is you sort of reinforce that by just saying, um, you know, <laughs> it's important that we all take accountability for our own our own professional development. Um, and thirdly, just try, again trying to lead lead by example. Um, you know, one of the things that I've done consistently for years is I've put out a weekly column as to what's on one mind. So every Friday, my team gets a message. And it could vary, Dylan, ranging from, you know, customer experience. It could vary. It could be about what to emphasize a particular process piece. Or it could uh, could be just a comment on something that's happening in the industry. Um, or just reinforcing some of the points we've talked about over the last half an hour or so. And, uh, you know, one of those is if you lead by example by saying, uh, you know, here's an evolution. And a and, and great example recently is uh, the notion of the champion to the catalyst, right? We, 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 I, I learned this through uh, actually attending a, uh, and being part of the, the definition of a, a new sales masterclass that uh, I'm working on with a, a networking group. And uh, cool. was talking about the importance of champion, and somebody said, "Actually, you know, there's evolution here, Mark. Since the catalyst, we had a discussion about two, and the, the catalyst has a, a lot of characteristics of the best champions, but there is a, a, a separate definition, meaning a real focus on how influential is that person within the account. And um, you know, that's just just a very small example of you know always trying to go out and, and reinvent yourself. It's one of the reasons I love this industry. I've been in it for a long time." But, you know, if I started my career as a programmer with Anderson Consulting, I was programming COBOL. Oh, really? Uh, green screen ICL mainframe. Um, <laughs> and then we had client server and then the first wave of internet and, and ad business and then, you know, now the, <clears throat> the whole, uh, then, then the whole distributed uh, computing wave. Uh, and now um, the, you know, let's call it the, the cloud computing wave, sort of pre-pandemic and then post-pandemic, where fundamentally the entire uh, perimeter of the enterprise is broken down. Um, so you've got to reinvent yourself all the time and stay constant. Um, and I that's love a, that. That's a challenge, but it's it makes the industry really exciting. I I would totally agree with that. Um, maybe to to close this conversation with, like, if you look back at your uh, years in the profession. I'm sure that there, there, there has to be like a thing top of mind that you would say, all right, this Dylan, that was by far my biggest learning. That was maybe was was a big success. Maybe it was due to a, a big failure. 
but either way there was this lesson that you took for the rest of your life and maybe it's it could be interesting to bring it up because people might also learn yeah no, facetiously i my favorite phrase is better to be lucky than good <laughs> um but but i would say that <clears throat> um you know, pragmatic terms, <clears throat> maybe, maybe my biggest learning is, um, you know, to quote Kipling, the British poet, you know, if you can meet with triumph and, and disaster and treat those two imposters the same, sort of as a, an old boss of mine once said, it's never as good as it seems, it's never as bad as it seems. <clears throat> I think if you can try and stay balanced uh, in success and failure, uh, and when it when you're successful, not overestimate your contribution. And when you fail, um, be very uh, brutally honest about what you could have done better. Um, and and I guess as a leader, uh, to be you know first into battle and and last in retreat. At sort of that, that yeah. those are sort of the principles that I guess I, I've, I've I've tried tried to live by and you know i've i've had massive success um and and i've i've also been chief executive of a business that went into administration um i can tell you that the success have been much more fun than the failure <laughs> <laughs> i can totally imagine but, but, that's for sure but you know, ultimately um you know i guess again the sporting analogy you go back to one of my favorite memories of the last 20 years when England won the Rugby World Cup in Australia, and Clive Woodward, the the leader there, uh, the coach, he he always made a a great point about if you lost the game, look at it, learn from it, move on. If you won, that's when you spend a lot of time understanding why you won, what you did well, and go reinforce that. And I guess that that's ultimately what I what I think in our industry, you know, we 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 tend to do, you know. Win loss analysis. We tend to do focus on the losses, the postmortems, and that's sure. Okay, what can we do better? Um, but really understand forensically why did we win and go and repeat that. That that's yeah, probably the best piece of advice that I can give, and I try to adhere to. That's interesting. I will. Uh, yeah, I'll take this with me, Martin. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on the show, for sharing your years of experience. Um, I've learned a lot for sure. I think that the audience has as well. Um, is there like a call to action that you want to do towards the audience? Is there maybe some job uh, opening that you want to shout out or anything else you want to shout out? Uh, no, again, one of my other favorite sayings is, you know, a, a leader already has two problems, uh, not enough orders and every other problem. And... Uh, <laughs> the um you know i'd sort of i'd sort of uh, leave, leave people with this thought that my team hears all the time which is selling software solves a lot of problems so <laughs> <laughs> that's also true it's so also uh, true. you know that's that's what i would uh, i'd recommend but dylan it's been a pleasure thank you for your time today yeah thank you thank you so much martin again uh i wish you nothing but the best and uh, i hope to see you next time i look forward to it thanks so much all the best that's it. We've once again reached the end of an episode. I just really appreciate you all spending the time. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. And until next week with a fresh new episode.